0: Hello and welcome to Under the Skin with me, Russell Brand. This week I'm speaking to Fern Cotton. I've already spoken to her. This is an introduction that's done retrospectively. Fern is a fantastic episode. You're going to love it. And I think it's a very lucid, open and thoughtful conversation. I mean her side of it. I'm not like, imagine I just described myself like that. I'm a very thoughtful lucid and kind man (laughs) no uh, I really enjoyed it and I hope you will because I think Fern is an important voice in emergent spiritual and self help or perhaps the help of others uh, conversation thanks for all your comments on last week's podcast with John McAvoy Uh, here are some of those comments that I'm thanking you for an item which I stole from Fern's podcast happy place Um, here are this one's from someone called Scott Johnson. Hey, at Rusty Rockets, this is really one of the best ones you've done. Loved hearing how John McAvoy 2 turned it around. He calls himself John McAvoy 2. That's interesting. I've never known anyone call himself like their own sequel, but that's his life, isn't it? He's a sequel to himself. Have a meeting today with gloves, not guns. Cool. That'll be boxing instead of being guns. Unless Imagine it's little washed up gloves or little lovely little mittens. You like guns, dear? Yeah, actually, because I can defend myself and my nation. Well, what about these little gloves? Have them. Going to talk to them about John. Yeah, John's amazing, Scott Johnson. I'm being silly, I don't know why. Super inspiring for young kids to hear, certainly. Gary Ward goes, Read John McAvoy interview. I thought it profound that it all started with him raising money for charity. Once you give to others another space and opportunity arises. Hey Gary, that's I didn't notice that, mate. That's a good point about sort of spirituality and kindness. Like it opens up a different aspect of you that you've perhaps let, become overgrown. Sammy Ralph go, you have to listen to this. John McAvoy too, went to my husband's school last year and made an unforgettable impression. What is your husband doing at school, Sammy? That's what I want to know. It's why you've married a little boy. Uh, he made, he went to my husband's school last year made an unforgettable impression on both pupils, parents and teachers. He could be a teacher, couldn't he, the husband? We don't assume that Sammy Ralph has married a little boy. Uh, he gave his fee back to the school for them to reinvest and because he cares so much he's revisiting this month oh you could tell he was sincere what a lovely man John McAvoy is have me fee I can imagine him doing that keep it reinvest it back in the school all intense and lovely Dave Baked Potato says never listened to a podcast twice back to back before astonishing story well thanks man Hane says it's a great cardigan thank you like because I've been so criticised for my cardigan those of you that check these clips on YouTube, we will notice that today I'm so ridiculously overdressed. Look like I'm going to a banquet with Little Lord fonterey and Oscar Wilde. I'm dressed like such a ponch. Pop-Up Couch. Sweet. Love your podcast, True Russell Brand. You have found your true calling. This means this comment off Instagram, innit? Because that's why I'm called True Russell Brand. Christopher Baker go, I appreciate you. I'm thankful for your guest selection. You always, always, always leave me amped to start down the road to a better life, a path to freedom. God bless you, Russell Brand. P.S. Much love to your lady and your babies and bear. Well, that's a lot of love, Christopher Baker. Thank you very much. I love that and I fully, fully accept it. Well, now that we've done your feedback and now that I've told you that you've got a buy the book Mentors, you can get it on Amazon, the audiobook on Audible or wherever you get audiobooks from is also absolutely, well, I don't know, I've not listened to it, but I remember saying it and thinking, this is good. These things are all true lot of spiritual gems in there. A lot of spiritual gems in mentors. Um, and I'm very interested in mentorship. And you'll notice now the subject's just going to come up all the time in your life. Mentors, mentors, you'll always be coming up. We've got some good people coming up on future episodes. John Ronson, Jay Shetty, Teresa Chung, all excellent and insightful people. Um, if you've got any questions for me, no one literally ever has done. We've not had single... Have we ever had one question? That not that you can read it, but it seems like, why well, don't know you F off? <laughs> Is that what people do with their time? If you want to ask me a question, they won't pass it on to me if it's like well, F off. Because it's like, oh, there's this guy that says, why don't you F off? They're not going to pass that on to me, are they? I'm the sensitive person. <laughs> but if you've got any um, you know questions that I suppose in your mind think, could this realistically be content or helpful to anybody? Uh, hello at russellbrand.com. And now this is a wonderful podcast with a wonderful person. There's no advert this week. That's a shame, isn't it? All right, why don't you get those mattresses or those socks that people get? Or, you know, those mattresses, they're always on. It's a mattress. It it arrives in a box. It's called a Lisa Matrix. I remember that. All right, what about that box of dinner you can get? That's one. Are you tired of not having a box of dinner? With this new thing, box of dinner, like you get a box of dinner and it's all easy recipes. Or what other ones have advertised in the past? Um, Huh? Pants. Do you want some pants? How about get these pants? They're so comfortable and they're made out of something from the future. So your reproductive organs are sn- snug as a bug in a rug. It's reproductive organs are so snug. in that material that's made up of space age fabric. Um, anyway, look, it's not my job to say things like that. I'm simply amusing myself and wasting your time the limited time you have in this present form as we understand it. Time now for Fern Cotton, who's a fantastic human, friend of mine, insightful in spirituality, willing to use her own pain and suffering to educate others in a way that I believe is accessible and important. She's got her own podcast, Happy Place. Check that out. It's got some really good people on it. Uh, Davina was the last person I listened to, but we talk about that a lot in this episode. Hope you enjoy it. See you on the other side. <laughs> Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not a no, successful that, route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told. And welcome to Russell Brand. Under the Skin. Thank you, Fern Cotton, for coming oh, on Under the Skin with me, Russell Brand. I was thinking like that, if me and you were doing this conversation a while ago, it would have had like quite a few layers of production involved, possibly agents and stuff. And I suppose one of the advantages of podcasts is that it becomes very uh, free.
1: Yeah. I love that. I, I, I love it, but I struggle with it because I've done radio for so long and it is really a sort of a discipline. You have to learn how the rhythm of it works and the timings and and also, like you say, all those layers of, you know, there'd be a you know a producer and then another producer and a, a unit assistant and then some other people floating around and you know that it has to sort of cohesively work as a team where with a podcast it's essentially just a chat. And I love that because you get the time that you don't get on radio. But I also struggle with it because I want to be all in order and neat and oh yes, tick that Radio 2 box, lovely. And I can't do that on this. I have to just trust and go with the flow. Um... So I find that a bit tricky, but I love like it's so liberating to work in this space now and to talk about whatever. You know, there are no rules. And that's why I think podcasts are so popular now, because you can literally find one on any subject in the world. I've got a letter
0: asking me to do something uh, for the old Vic, right? I've only like scanned the letter mm. a little bit. And the f- the, I think it's, it's from whoever runs the Vic, But he says, like, he's staging Noel Coward's play. Wow. F- like, there's Noel Coward play. And he says, would you write an essay for the programme? Because this p- play, I think, is about celebrity and fame. And he goes, and, like, we take the perspective that fame is a kind of trauma. Like, that becoming <laughs> famous is a traumatic experience for people. And, like, I only got this email sort of yesterday. But mm. I thought that I'd bring it up to you because... Mm. I think it's one of the things that uh we think about and talk about a bit is like that obviously it's like something that you either, you you know perhaps you want before it happens or in, and you feel very fortunate in some senses but it's it's I'm really considering the impact it's had on me psychologically at the moment are you
1: yeah I think. I have always chewed over that thought um, because I weirdly got into the sort of this game um, and was in the public eye to some extent from 15. So I have memories, obviously, pre being 15, but a lot of it involves knowing that people are watching me or judging me or making huge assumptions. And that's the only bit I've really struggled with. I've kind of been really lucky, and I came from a very normal background. Lived in, you know, northwest London suburbia, brilliant, hardworking, working working class parents. And I'm still very much that person. So I haven't ever really let it drag me kicking and screaming from who I knew I was. Um, But I think the negatives uh, and the impact that it's had on me are all directed at my self-worth. And that's my biggest problem to this day is being defined by what other people have told me they think I am. And I I know intellectually that that's bollocks and that, you know, I don't need to listen to Richard from Rotherham telling me that I'm a plonker. But I've had it for so long and at times in a really sort of magnified way that I think it has affected my self-worth. So all the the trappings of fame whatever have bypassed me. I've never been interested in it. I've never gone down that road I think just because I had that sort of sense of normality before that I wanted to stay true to Um, but the negative impact it's had on me is definitely beating myself up and using sort of conflating other people's uh, they might not even be opinions it might have been a flippant throwaway thought but conflating that with my own thoughts about myself and I still have to really work on that one to this day and I've been doing this for twenty-two years. Wow. So that's the impact it's had on me. But look, I've seen all the plonkers and the pitfalls over the years and people go off on weird routes because of fame and I've thought, well oh, I don't fancy that very much. And I you know, I've made loads of cock-ups and mistakes, obviously everyone has, but I can see the impact it's had in a negative way and it's only on my on my self-worth it's interesting that the the your podcast
0: happy place as sort of it feels like because like people start podcasts it might go well might not but yours it seems has done really particularly extraordinarily well with the uh with the idea of having guests that you want to learn something from some people really well known some people less well known what is it that you're you, what is your guiding idea behind the podcast what made you want to do it and
1: Well, there's two different. I guess there's two different answers. So so the first thing is sort of why I wanted to do it. Um, I had this sort of big um, life and career change, and it wasn't particularly staged or thought about. But there was stuff going on in my own life, and I'd been in a pretty weird place. And um, and then I'd had children, and I decided to leave Radio One, which was kind of really my identity at that point. And um, I thought, right, there's kind of this character person that I've built or when well, I'm doing TV and radio I'm not being properly me I'm being probably like 40% me but there's all this other stuff that I don't really talk about why don't I talk about it so then the idea sort of came about writing a book about a particularly dark episode that I'd had in my life and and how I've sort of moved on from it or work with it still um what book, which one is that this was happy Could the first got your one three books here well thank you very well, much they for look good together they're really well. pretty aren't they yeah, they're they look very amazing. pretty so Quiet, happy was the happy, first calm. one yeah Quite
0: the most recent
1: quite the most recent so happy was the first one it's all about depression um and not feeling great and what i'd personally experienced and um and then in the book, I interview lots of people that I really like or whose opinions I value. And I thought, well, rather than just write down these interviews, surely I should be having these conversations. And I started off doing a little tester one with my mate Zephyr Wildman, who's this amazing yoga teacher who lost her husband um, to addiction. And um, she's become a very great friend of mine. And we talked about her losing her husband and the impact it's had on her and her children. And and it was just a little test. Like, how's this working as a conversation? And then um, and then I said to Dawn French on Twitter, will you come on my podcast that doesn't exist yet? And she was like, if you can come to Cornwall. I thought, oh, I fancy a day by the sea. So once we had Dawn, other people were like, oh, that obviously must be a thing. So then other people started saying yes. Um, and I think... Why people listen to it and like it um, is because we look at you know whether it is famous people or not. We we view other people like having it all sussed. Like, oh, that person seems really robust and resilient to stuff going on, and like, what's their secret? Whereas, obviously, underneath it all, like, you unpick all those life circumstances and emotions, and we're all feeling the same feelings, you know, in varying degrees, but we're struggling, or we're joyful, or we're curious, or we're not understanding things, and that fascinates me more than anything. So my my drive to do it is always unpicking how that person works, and also trying to find a common ground with my own struggles and you know, weird idiosyncrasies. Like, does someone else feel like that? And if they do, that's going to make me feel better and hopefully lots of other people out there. So it's just about, it's just a chat about that, cutting through all the small talk of, oh, I like your shoes, how was your holiday? And just going, I don't like that small talk bit. I don't feel comfortable in it. I like going into the deep bit. And it, that is essentially how the podcast was born.
0: You've seen on it very inquisitive and like it's, I um that it's a personal quest it doesn't it is. feel like oh someone's giving me some money to do this and L- so i'll just as say as we know whatever. there is
1: no money in podcasts it's very difficult to
0: monetize <laughs> and that's why i'm advertising you know they minds that get bits for iphones <laughs> I advertise them they're good them minds <laughs> give them a break you know like little kids work down there there's nothing wrong with it them kids oh, enjoy it it's good for their
1: make something they fiddles fiddles
0: those kids <laughs> if they overcome this they could rise to the top mm. um so, like, um, right, so it comes from a genuine inquiry. And thinking yeah. about it while you're talking about it, the fact that we are used to seeing you in more structured mainstream media, for me, hearing you, m- m- like, the ac- having access to that other 60%, not the 40% of yourself you say you w- w- were comfortable using on Radio 1 or the TV stuff that we're used to seeing you on, it gives it a sense of, I think, emotional authenticity.
1: Well, I hope so, because... I love doing all those other bits that I've done over the years and that I still do now and I'm on Radio 2 or whatever but you do feel a sense of relief when you can write a real honest book or talk really authentically in a podcast because you can't really go wrong. There's no massive mistake that can be made because you're just being you whereas in the other space where you're working for other people or you are fulfilling a role that you know, anyone could do in that profession. You need to be on board with that. And I think I've always felt very nervous in that space that I was going to say something that was deemed inappropriate or someone would think that if I mentioned that I had had a, you know, had episodes of depression that I would be, you know, not be hired again or whatever. And when I'm just talking about it openly in my own space, I feel so comfortable and such a relief and such liberation. And like you say, it is a personal quest. I This is not just me in my professional life. This is my whole world now is wanting to talk to interesting people from whatever walks of life to try and understand their life and their perspective to get more of a grip on my own. Because I don't feel like I have really scratched the surface. You know, I'm starting to work out my patterns and my triggers and how I work. But there's so much more I want to learn. And I think you only do that by bouncing off other people and reacting off other people.
0: Yes. When you say that, I feel that um, that, um, celebrity is just an amplification of if something that any, like that happens in ordinary or non-famous life in that say for example you start to learn oh don't show those bits of your personality because people don't like that that's not rewarded but we all know that from socializing i didn't for me it took ages and ages to really diligently try and get famous for ages like 10 years and years of doing it so like during that time i suppose i had i've got more of a like you know someone like you that's been in the public eye from 15 it must be hard it must have been present when you were going through like, you know, becoming an adult, becoming you know, all of those different transitions that we go through have been with the accompaniment of fame but regardless of whether or not you're in the public eye people know what it's like to conceal an aspect of yourself
1: yeah of course like if you're at work people don't want to show their true colors in case they're judged or in social situations in case we feel excluded and no one wants to feel alienated excluded like they're not part of a pack none of us want to feel that so i think we do end up Hiding bits of ourselves and the beautiful thing that's happened in the last, I mean, five years, really, because it's been happening prior to that. But the last five years when people have really been talking about not just mental health, but just really being vulnerable and and talking about emotions and, and fears and problems, I think that is the most powerful thing because you instantly don't feel alone. You know that that weird thing that always happens in your head or that weird physical thing you worry about, other people are feeling, oh my God, there is no greater relief. And and I had that with Happy. I was shit scared about that book being published. And the night before it went on sale, I was just like catatonic with fear, like oh, this book cannot go out. No one can read this book. This is a massive mistake. And then as soon as I started to sort of talk to people other people about it and once I'd had a sort of reaction from it being released I was like oh my god this is actually the greatest thing because other people are coming up to me who I had no idea had any sort of mental health problem or or you know down in life and had come to me and said oh my god I you should have said I was going through exactly the same thing or I had that after I had kids or whatever and it's that connection that I think is driving a lot of what I do now and and also socially I think so many more people are feeling comfortable talking about things not everything but I think we're we're getting there and it's going to be an incremental thing over the years where hopefully somewhere down the line we'll be happy to talk about any old thing and there won't be any more taboo subjects or things that we feel ashamed about or concerned about that we don't need to carry shame and all of that as a burden on top of all the other stuff that we're experiencing So it was the opposite reaction.
0: You felt that a book where you talked about your uh, feelings of depression or inadequacy, you felt that it... What what was your fear?
1: Um, That that everything in my head would be confirmed, that I was a bit odd, um, that I wasn't deserving of anything that I'd achieved or any um, accolades I may have been given. Not that I defined by them at all, but I just think I was very worried that they might be taken away because you know, I have um, been in situations where I haven't been my best at work or um, I've been not been feeling great mentally and therefore not given all that I could. And I have been ridiculed and um, or called out. And and that's made me really fearful of showing that side of myself. Um, and, you know, like so in Calm, that's all about, anxiety and and panic attacks and panic attacks are a bit more they're sort of newer to me that's in the last three years that I've had panic attacks and um, and I've had them when I've been on air and managed to somehow sort of conceal them whereas I think if I was like if I felt like I was having one now I'd say you know what Russell can I go out the room for five minutes and just because I'm having I have this thing and I get very breathless and very hot do you mind if I take five whereas before I wrote that book I would be full of shame and embarrassment and thinking oh god he's not feeling panicked he's all calm and cool about everything and I'm this you know freak who's worrying about nothing and you know I think being able to just be honest and, and say those things and then deal with them as they're happening is a relief and again that book was a catharsis because I was just getting it out on paper rather than internalizing it and and feeling even more sort of alienated in what I was experiencing. You see how you
0: said that you like uh, narrativise the panic, like that it's not enough to just feel the respiratory condition, the heat. Then you start saying, oh, other people don't feel it and I'm bad for feeling it. Like now that you are doing sort of podcasts that are about well-being, and I think make it, create in a really interesting space in podcasts. I don't think anyone else is doing, or at least they're not doing as popularly or as well. Um, and now with your and also with your publishing moving into this space, do you think it's a way of you relating differently to your to your own anxiety yeah. and your own panic and stuff?
1: It's a way of me relating differently to myself because well, I didn't feel like I fit into certain parts of the career I was working in I felt like, like I was there was something wrong with me you know um well like
0: if you have to go to a, a shindig
1: a shindig or you know I've sat in countless meetings where I've been sat in front of a commissioner and and they've gone oh what have you been up to recently and I've panicked and gone oh god well I you know I did that <laughs> show the other day and <laughs> you know and I sort of forget and I think and then I walk out going that was horrible <laughs> that was horrible they haven't Taking any time to look at what I've done for two decades and I haven't been able to justify myself and they don't they don't hire me anyway so I walk away feeling lesser than and I don't have to do that anymore for a start I don't go to those meetings anymore I don't want to but also I am learning through all of this work that I'm doing you know I've sort of used the podcast and the books as like my own free therapy in a sense because I'm Saying things out loud. I think writing things down is incredibly powerful. So I'm venting all of this stuff and it's coming out in books, podcasts, whatever medium, it doesn't matter. And I'm figuring it out. So going back to your question I can sort of relate to who I am through all of this um and what I thought was wrong with me or what I still do believe isn't enough because I still that's not like oh I'm cured now I've written these books and do these podcasts and everything's great no every day is like you know I'm berating myself about things or self-flagellation involved or whatever and I'm trying to do that less and just like exactly who I am with all of my you know, weird bits and good bits and, and the mistakes I've made. And and that's something I find tricky in this day and age is it's, it's sort of like we're not allowed to make mistakes. You know, because of social media, I'm not I'm blaming, I love social media, but because of how it works and how we view other people, to make a mistake, or also if you're in the public eye, you make a tiny mistake and you are absolutely ridiculed, taken down. But there are no humans who without mistakes it's not possible and also to make a mistake then gives you the opportunity to grow so we're kind of missing a trick there we're we're not going god like you made a mistake and, and i'm interested to see how you turn around from that we just knock people about and then in turn do it to ourselves we make a mistake we beat the shit out of ourselves because of it but really we have to make mistakes like that is so so important so I'm only getting to grips with that now. You know, my late 30s, I'm starting to understand the mistakes that I have made and that have caused me sleepless nights and all sorts of anxiety is to now go, doesn't matter. Like, look what I did after it. What happened after the mistake? Where did I go next? And what did I learn? And did I do it again? And if I did it again... What did I learn again on top of that? And did I then hopefully not do it again? And to use it rather than we're so quick to go, hmm, you fucked up. And then to ourselves go, oh my God, I'm fucking up all the time, you know? And like, that's, I think, such a, a problem for so many of us is that constant beating ourselves up about stuff.
0: Because I feel like what this yeah, enables us to do is, um seeing you undertake this journey somewhat publicly is for us to compare the tension that we all feel about oh this is what people think of me or this and this is what i think of myself it's good to feel that relief because like when i see you hanging out with uh laura your friend my wife uh i sort of think oh, i was like fern's like happy and together and cool or if i'm with you and jesse uh, my friend your husband then, like it seems everything's conducted on a level where I don't imagine i always am, as you said earlier that the sort of neurosis is somehow exclusive to me i don't not intellectually but just empirically when I feel it, I think, oh God, no one feels this desperate <laughs> and shameful and awful i can't you know like you know it's like it's an invitation, i suppose this kind of popular uh access to Therapeutic language and I think spiritual language yeah. is an invitation to sort of normalize it and make it something that we communicate about instead of defaulting to saying the best things about ourselves. It's interesting as well, because I recognise that like what you know, a high pressure meeting and someone just asks you an offhand question thinking, Oh, god i don't know what to say and that like yeah. suddenly hearing the thing that i'm saying like this isn't what i'm meant to be saying <laughs> at all why am i saying this now i wanting to sort of pile the words back in again <laughs> do you think that now i know like, interestingly you said you wouldn't put yourself in that position now of going to like sort of situations where you feel you might be judged but do you feel you are different do you because like they say don't they that the technique would be remain present because if you remain present when you feel intimidated and afraid you would have the access to the idea that the ultimate reality is you know you're in limitless space you're yeah, yeah, a yeah. conscious being there a conscious being he's going to die or presumably it was a man in that example. I don't know it could have been a female it, it was a female in
1: the one that I was actually visualising but my, I've been in many many situations like it
0: my sexism exposed there not for the first <laughs> possibly not for the last time um, so like a, but do you think that now you would be able to use these techniques which
1: hmm <laughs> Uh,
0: To allay that.
1: Sometimes. Sometimes I can get present enough to negate all of the mental bullshit that I'm bombarded with. But sometimes I'm not. And it's too powerful. And... That's when I can. That's the sort of space where I have the tendency to spiral. And if I'm going to go into a negative spiral, it's then. And it could be a moment where someone catches me off guard, or I've been in a conversation where I've felt flustered and I'm not being authentic and I'm not saying things that I truly believe. Mm. And I'll walk away, then go into self-loathing, beat myself up. Then I get stuck. So my head just gets stuck in that, and and I can. I can sort of rationalise what's going on, and I can intellectually understand what's going on, but I can't get out of it or act on it. Mm. I'm sort of stuck, and that at times has gone on for. Oh, I had my my the time I write about unhappy, I'm kind of non-specific because I'm not quite at peace with any of it yet. So (laughs) I don't ever go into like explicit details because I'm still trying to get to peace with it all because it's private. Yeah, and also. I think later down the line like say I'm 17 I'm still hopefully doing this sort of thing I might go let me tell you exactly what that was about but I'm not there yet
0: but you're able to admit that there are things that still have power loads
1: I suppose well uh, again
0: because I suppose if there's things like to do with like like I've had relationships that have been in public and like so I'll always have to be cautious about that yeah. because of protecting that person and because of the kind of things that people might say about it and stuff and so I think in, in that sense it's probably wise to and not necessary to and that other thing that i've had a tendency to do like it's almost the other extreme of what you're saying about feeling isolated by neurosis is over tell people Mm. and like something, i don't mean i don't even who are these people i'm telling this stuff they Mm. don't love me
1: Mm. yeah i i find myself also doing that um because i really want to like get them to feel that there's a connection between us and i force it too much but (sighs) i think you know Some of the times, yes, you're right. You know, don't say things if you think it's going to have a negative effect on someone else publicly. But also for myself, you know, if I don't feel completely at peace with some of my past or situations that I've been in, I don't want to start talking about them publicly because I feel too vulnerable to. I'm not there yet. The things that I've talked about in the three books or on the podcast, I'm completely comfortable talking about. That's good. I, I love talking about them because, again, it's that connectivity and... And deeper understanding of of, of everyone and of, of, of ourselves in turn. Um but, you know, in that in that specific book, I wrote that off the back, some way further down the line, off the back of a good year of feeling stuck. Really stuck for like a year. Could have been longer. It's all a blur because I'm still getting memories back and, you know, it was a real sort of awful time for me. What were me. you
0: doing at the time to try and get rid of it? Do you know what I mean? we drinking Lots of things. Or, no like, luckily you,
1: do do? i've got i've got quite an addictive personality but it's never led me down the route of drink or drugs and i'm very grateful for that um you know my husband like yourself is in recovery and i've watched that process and it's obviously very complex and takes a lot of discipline and luckily i've never been down that road but the obsessiveness probably comes in the form of the self-loathing and the getting stuck and reaching habitually for negative thoughts rather than positive ones. What do
0: you do? How do you interrupt that now? Say something happens to you, you feel that negativity or fear or whatever it is. What is your, how, what techniques do you use to intervene in your thinking? It
1: depends how good I'm feeling. Like on a bad day, I'm obviously like eating biscuits out the cupboard and I'm trying to make it go away. Maybe shout at someone. Yeah, probably Jesse. Give Jesse a good going over. Yeah, Jesse's probably pissed me off because the recycling's not been done. It's something very banal and (laughs) all the kids are playing up and I'm actually being too unfair and strict on them when I shouldn't. And that's when I really don't like it. That's when I go, wait, I shouldn't be doing that. Right. Um, But on a good day, if I'm feeling balanced and good and something throws me, then my go-to thing is talk to someone else instantly. I'm not normally strong enough to just deal with it
0: why should you Myself? be?
1: Yeah, I guess that's the beauty of being a human, isn't it? Like we can bounce off each other and we can have ideas and, and we can listen. So important. So I will text a great friend. It might be your Laura. It might be my friend Claire. Um, I see a therapist. It could be a therapist. Um, yeah. And I will say, this, this is what's happened. This is what I'm feeling like you know, usually like, is that normal? I always think that I'm a freak or I'm thinking in an absurd way and get to a point where hopefully I can really rationalize what's going on. And then then if I'm feeling good about that, basic things like you know i like going walking and being outside i like running i like doing exercise um or it might be just trying to replace a shitty thought with a nice one so you know whether you call them mantras you know affirmations whatever just telling myself it's usually you know i am enough or you know i am okay or whatever because i my default setting is that i'm not yeah so i have to Do basic building blocks of you're all right. It hasn't got to get any more exciting than that. Just you're all right. And then we just continue the day and hope for the best. And sometimes I have to just sit it out and not be stuck anymore. And that might be after usually it's quicker these days, two, three days. And then, oh, I feel all right today. Let's crack on. But then I have to watch that I don't go into a crazy high, which is, oh, I'm feeling amazing and I'm going to be sprinkling in the whole house. I'm going to be, you know, playing with the kids in the garden for two hours and I'm going to go and do some emails and I try and do way too much and then knacker myself out and I end up back where I was. So it's a balancing act, I think, of looking at your own barometer and working out where you should sit. Sometimes
0: I feel a real big high. And what I do is I think, my God, I'm invincible. <laughs> I can do anything. And I set up loads of meetings and that. Oh, yeah. And then people start to go, yeah, all right, we'll have them. in I, I don't want them. these meetings. They can't go up they judge me. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not sitting in there with them asking me what I've been doing lately. And then me going, I don't know. Put the bins out yeah. this
1: morning. I think it's keeping it simple, isn't it? That's what my new mantra has been over the last few years is, keep things simple I didn't want simple before I wanted complicated yeah, I exciting all I mm. wanted was a roller coaster so Certainly in my 20s, I didn't care what was going on as long as it was an extreme high Where do you think we get that idea
0: from, Fern? Like that Um, things should be complicated and excited. Why why do we think that? Why do we think it's got to be really dramatic and mm, exciting? Well,
1: there's a few things. I think my mum is that way inclined, so I probably by osmosis got a bit of that. She likes a bit
0: of drama, does she, She mum? She loves a bit of
1: drama. She still does, and I don't think I'm talking out of turn saying that. I hope I'm not. Um, But I think a bit my mum. But also... Um, I guess I had this huge high at 15. I felt like I'd sort of been plucked from suburban obscurity and put on the telly and I never really got over that, that there was this crazy, amazing thing that had happened to me that I could never have imagined. Um, and obviously I'd done like, my God, how many very bad TV adverts before that, theatre productions, whatever, for three or four years and and countless drama classes from the age of like, I don't know, 10 before that. Yeah. But um, but it still felt absurd so I think that kick-started a bit of a a, you know I want to chase that what's the next one of that that I'm going (sighs) to get and also that meaning something like oh that must mean I'm doing something and it's that whole thing of you know we're human beings not human doings but I'm always more content or comfort in the doing bit if I'm constantly doing and you know, achieving or even if it's just like I've done the laundry. Yay. Good. You know, good for me. I get like a little internal tick and I think and I'm not talking about a tick. I'm talking about like a yeah, you know, yeah, positive. This, this yay. Well twitch. done. No, not a switch. It's not like, a little uh, spasm <laughs> every time you get the laundrette. No, I would never do laundry again. This is very much like an internal bit of praise. And I think I've always chased that to some extent. And I don't know. It's chicken and egg. I don't know if that was because of the career high immediately or... Or if that was there prior to that, I don't know. Um, I'm mm. a real doer and that serves me well, but it also hinders me massively when I need to just do the being bit. I'm not very good at that.
0: When you're learning this stuff now, as you move more into personal development, which I think is a good thing for people because I'm sort of doing a comparable thing. I've been like involved in entertainment a lot. Stand-up comedy gives you some latitude if you know people see it, but I mean to say you're not, beholden to a, a broadcaster's agenda or some other Yeah, you've got autonomy on what you're doing. You've got autonomy. As I move more in this direction, I'm aware that uh, one of the things that will be levelled at both you and I because of celebrity background and class background mm. is that the areas we're moving into have got deep esoteric underwriting. Like when we're talking, like some of the things you're talking about in calm and quiet and happy necessarily overlap with ideas that are in Christianity. Mm, they're not new ideas. Uh, Buddhism. <laughs> no, they've got to. There are no new ideas, no, I no, don't no, think, no. certainly not here. Mm. But like, don't you, um, how do you feel about that? And what is your interest in looking at into those sorts of roots, as in, I I mean to say, like, you know, aspects of Buddhism or aspects of... What's your interest in I don't
1: identify um, purely with any one religion or methodology, but I'm fascinated by all of them. And I do think a bit of... the sort of storytelling of religion is really beautiful, and I think stories an incredibly sort of powerful way of us understanding ourselves and life. Um, I, it's such a weird one to sort of define because I hate to go, oh yeah, I'm spiritual, because you sound like a bit of a wanker. But I, but I do. Um, I do sort of, I I am spiritual. I believe that there is a greater something out there, whether that's within or exterior, I don't know, but I believe that there are, you know, miraculous things that happen or synergy between you and other people, you know, mad coincidences, whatever it might be. Um, And, and the mistakes and the learning also comes into that and how you take that on. So, you know, I don't sort of relay any particular religious structure in any of these books, but I think, I'd be silly to say I'm not taking bits of them or or looking at them and then trying to make sense of them myself. Um, that's what needs to happen. I think a lot yeah. of these ideas
0: need to be liberated, popularised and what I want to say um, sort of modernised but just act, made accessible and I think that is what you're doing and I think that it's a really good uh, like journey to go on. think something that we just would unthinkingly, coll- colloquially say like I don't like myself. Yeah. I you know, I like you know, and even thoughts of suicide at the extreme end mm. of that. I've been thinking lately how the annihilation and loss of self is the aim of many meditative and uh, spiritual disciplines, yeah. that, that, that the Buddhist idea that yourself is a construct, uh, just biochemical drives that you respond to, memories that you over-identify with, that the human being, like you just said, that human being doing thing, that the human being is an event as opposed to an object. It's an ongoing thing. You don't need to continually relate to certain aspects of your past. Like, oh, I'm that person who did that thing. You can just go All right. I'm not gonna place significance on that in the same way way that I used to that you can reorder reorganize yourself the sort of 12 step stuff that I'm into is the reason I believe in it is because it's about change like change is what's necessary and if you you know are unable to live with yourself successfully then obviously change is necessary so like that what I mean to say is that I think it's good that you present these things in a popular and accessible way but I think it is also important that we know not for any judgmental reason but because it's nice to know that there is a tradition yeah like that you can reach deep down into
1: absolutely and also I think the fundamental thing about religion that that is nice to popularize and put out there because there obviously are sort of there can be negatives because otherwise there wouldn't be so many wars and stuff going on but but the positive is hope and if you're not attached to a religion it's hard to be hopeful sometimes to have faith in whatever it is in good stuff happening and if you are self-loathing and you don't like yourself you have to have hope that's the first step surely of like getting out of that mindset yeah you hope that you can think in a different way you have faith that you will find strength somewhere down the line to not act in the habitual bad patterns you've got yourself into so if that's your only attachment to religion then let that be it. And and you don't have to be religious to have hope and faith. It's just working out how you, you know, fit that into your life. How does that slot into your everyday life that you have, you wake up in the morning and there is faith that you're not going to get hit by a bus or faith that it's going to be an okay day. So for me, it's the connection to that bit of it that I'm interested in is what is faith? What is hope? Where, you know, does that come from Self-love, confidence, or is it just an idea that we have to grab hold of? I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I'm fascinated by what that means and how we can implement it into it, our lives. It might
0: come, that implementation, I reckon, I'm just making this up now,
1: <laughs> from uh, like when you feel that feeling of,
0: oh, I'm not worth anything or whatever, that, that, that sort of has a sense, there's an openness to that. Like Say if you go beyond self-condemnation, To the acknowledgement of, oh wow, maybe I'm actually just a construct. Maybe I'm, you know, I just happen to have been born in this time, this gender, this Mm. class, this culture. But what is this essence? What is this witness? And maybe that idea of faith, if you can get past that, oh, I hate myself. I'm worthless. I'm not as good as other people. To the point of, oh well, all people are constructs. Uh, Perhaps on the other side of the self condemnation is the access to the idea of change of. As you say, hope. You know, faith. I feel might be accessible there. It was a thing that just occurred yeah. to me just then, Fern.
1: I think that's what it is because, you know, it's really hard to sit with all of the the. We all have darkness within us, you know, whether that be internal problems or you know, just we we all have a darkness. And I think it's sort of accepting that, but then having faith. You know, as you say, like sort of in communities, in groups, whether that be friendships, at work, at school, whatever that you can create change either individually or in a, a a positive movement. And I'm not trying to create any new movement with my books necessarily, Why? but I am well because that seems like a little bit grand, Rain. but I think I'm certainly wanting to, you know, who continue. Do you want to help? Anyone who feels a bit like you know, alienated and 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 like they're not part of something. Any, anyone who feels like I have for a, you know, a substantial part of my adult life, um, for them to feel not like that because you don't need to. It's pointless.
0: What was it like when you do the Mind, like you're ambassador for Mind, yeah. the mental health yeah. organisation? Mm. Did you go and do sort of like some of their community group experiences and mm. stuff like that? Yeah, I've that had like? some
1: amazing. One, well, I'm very, very lucky in the fact that I, I work with Mind and I absolutely adore what they do and also um i've just been made a goodwill ambassador for the prince's trust with my focus being mental well-being which is that is that the prince amazing. of wales prince charles yeah yes yeah. So i've been an ambassador for a few years but i've sort of been given a new role which is really exciting and um and their work is unreal how like you know i've met so many young people who's you know that sort of game changing phrases thrown about but my god i've met kids who have been you know, at absolute desperate points of life. And now they have thriving business plans up and running and just amazing stories. But with Mind, one of the first things I did was went to Mind in Hackney, because local Mind's all over the place. And you can drop in and they've got lots of different things going on there um, to support you or just to help you get out of the house if you have terrible social anxiety, Um, all manner of things. And I went to a... Mind hackney group that was running There was um sort of spoken word therapy, and <clears throat> I was shitting myself. It was um, it was sold to me as this is sort of like spoken word and rap.
0: Ooh. <clears throat> Am I gonna have to do a rap? That's what that I'm thinking is... now.
1: And obviously, I'm not a rapper, like it doesn't come naturally You've to me. Never claimed to
0: be a rapper, I've
1: never claimed to be a rapper. To be fair, it's not a part of my career path that I'm focusing on right now, but I went into this thinking. Oh, I'm just going to throw myself into it and I want to give it a go. And it was one of the most beautiful afternoons I have had ever. It was incredible. Went into this room. There's about twenty of us sat there, all from is different it church walks of life. It or... was sort of just like a little, like a scout hut, you know, like a, just a little mm. scout hut on the side of the road. And they've got a lovely little tea area, a little canteeny bit, and then this big communal space. is about twenty of us sat around, all from different backgrounds, different ages, um, massively mixed bag of people sat in this room, and we and this brilliant lady who I've befriended because I. Uh, I can't stop becoming friends with these amazing people that I'm, I, I sort of force myself upon them. Like you, you're going to be my new mate because I think you're amazing. This lady called Wanda, who is, uh, she's a rapper, um, <laughs> but also does, you know, poetry, spoken word. You've got your rap
0: in common. I've got my rap in common. You can bond exactly. with Wanda on your mutual exactly. love of rap.
1: Um, so she led this class with such a, empathy, compassion, sensitivity. By the end of it, I was like, I'll do my poem. Because at the beginning I was like, I'm not talking. I'm not even gonna write a poem. By the end, we all wanted to get up and share these little... It could be a verse that we'd written because we were instantly seeing this connection. By the end of it, we were all like hugging and laughing and the lady next to me, we were sort of, I sort of sat on a lap hugging her. And
0: How did Wanda get it from feeling cold and atomised mm, in the scout up think, to that? What was the, can you remember the bit where you got sort of lured in yeah, and thought, I'm yeah. happy to go with this now?
1: I mean, she was just a special person. I think some people have that quality where they can bond a room and it's really hard to do. Um, And she's actually been on my podcast since because I was so fascinated by her. But she got a ball of string and she held it and she held on to the the loose end and she threw the ball to somebody else and had to say something about themselves. And then that person threw it to somebody else. And we just went around the room. And it was either we had to say something about ourselves, or
0: you're right being compassionate in them situations. You're not judgmental. You're not thinking, oh, I don't like him. No, oh, no, like way. Him. no way. You're all right. My, with that. my
1: default setting is they will think I'm a twat. That's right. My default you're worried setting. about what they think about you. Oh yeah, my default setting is they oh, think they, they, like they, they think I'm a fucking they twat. Like they Need yeah. They, they think just think I'm a Pussy. dickhead.
0: There's nothing wrong with that eye.
1: Yeah, all of that. It's all going on in my head. So my judge, judgmental side is always about myself. Self-persecuting, not others. I rarely judge other people because I so dislike parts of myself, that's my hurdle. Right. So we threw this ball of string and we all, and then we looked and we'd said a bit about ourselves. And we. this is lovely little moment where we sat there and there was all this string going between us, like a little network, a spaghetti junction of string between us all. And quite tangibly there was our connection and we'd all listened to each other. And it was like, wow, yeah, we've, it was, it was something like, if we all got something in common? So, you know, I like fishing, throw it to the next person, I've been swimming before, you know, something as sort of tenuous as that. But we could see the connection that we all had similarities, no matter what our problem was, depression, anxiety, panic attacks, you know, acute social anxiety, whatever. We all had a connection and and then we trusted each other and it was lovely.
0: That is very beautiful. Did some people visibly find it very difficult to participate in that exercise?
1: Yes, but... Um, but everybody got up and everybody spoke. And there was a woman there that hadn't... She'd been to one of Wanda's courses previously. This was, I think, her second or third or something like that. But before she'd been to a, a, a local mind and before she'd been to one of Wanda's workshops, she hadn't left the house in eight years Bloody at hell. all. At all. And, and she... Her poetry was incredible because she was channeling every bit of that darkness and fear and whatever whatever other emotions were stopping her from living a normal life, she put into this beautiful poetry. And and some of the other people that had been on her courses before were going to open mic nights. And these are people that felt completely um, ill at ease with themselves prior to stepping into this local mine. So, so the work they do is exceptional. And that also massively drives a lot of what i'm doing because i've met so many amazing people where i've seen they've been in a very dark place and they've they've got themselves out of it
0: sometimes i feel like that you have to uh like i feel like i hear stories like that like i think oh my god yeah that's really good mind are doing this positive thing there's that woman who ain't been out for eight years now she's doing them poems oh that's good and she's communicating something in herself that make her feel better and all of that and then I think sometimes, Fern, of the scale of the problem and how diffuse it is, uh, like how many people how many people won't find access to that mind, won't have the confidence to go to it. And I feel and it, then this is how my domino mind unravels yeah. is that I feel like why do we live in a society that doesn't prioritise that above some of the other things that we prioritise and some of the things that you and I you know all all of us really participate in because we live in a world that's so much about commodification commercialization and like when there are characters like wanda or i met someone uh the other day this woman mandy that runs houses for women in recovery a lot of women that have been in institutions or whatever and like she's just got boundless energy yeah. it. and you make me think oh my god you don't have to do everything yourself this mandy person or wonder or whatever they'll do it all you have to do is support them but usually those people are doing it without enough funds I know. you know sort of somewhat maligned even like a successful charity like mind my sense is why are we not culturally and socially promoting these values and what do you feel an obligation to and do you think we can influence it?
1: I don't feel an obligation. I feel extreme passion that I want oh. to. Um But um, looking at the whys behind why we're possibly struggling the most we ever have culturally, and we kind of are because... Like Princess Trust have a youth index that comes out, and you know, uh, young young people are the most anxious and depressed, uh, and and having more panic attacks than ever, and it's sort of plateaued for the last couple of years. And um, I think what for one, there's a lot of archaic systems that probably need to definitely change. Uh, you know, globally, obviously, um, and how we are so focused on um, buying crap that we don't need and, and that meaning something and having a part of our identity also probably the schooling system um and I know it's under stress anyway but I think uh you know there is a lot of room for change at schools and perhaps the curriculum needs to be slightly more malleable in today's times and there should be more focus on just general well-being um and soft skills as well as the academic
0: Because don't you think, like, people like us that are, like, lottery winners in a sense, not that, you know, like you said, you worked hard and... Yeah, but I'm lucky. I had a lucky moment. You had a lucky moment. I've had lucky loads of lucky moments. And we're still, like, going, oh, we're feeling insane in the membrane because of of all the social pressure and the anxiety and judging ourselves and how fame exacerbated our natural tendencies to care too much what other people think of you. And then, you know, you say something and then you see it everywhere and you make a mistake and people do this, you know, like then what must it be like for the people that are from backgrounds that we're from who don't ever get the opportunities that we get, have had? And that's getting multiplied and multiplied and multiplied and it feels like there are such big... Like the kind of values that you're talking about here, uh, in, in 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 say for example your book Choir, uh, your new book, or the kind of conversations you're having with uh, I listened to one with Davina McCall today, or you know like uh, like you said you have had them with Wanda and a variety of uh, people. Like, I feel like we. it's odd that that both Mind which is an amazing organisation Prince's Trust from what you're telling me sounds like also an amazing organisation I don't know as much about it like it's become the interest of sort of charitable organisations as opposed to government yeah the fundamental building blocks of what nation
1: is what is a nation I I guess (sighs) over time politically priorities have become slight and globally just become slightly warped Um, And if we all felt mentally more at ease, there would, of course, be less problems in life. And I guess the only thing we can do is something we can do as parents, of course, with our generation of children. Um, And we're still going to make mistakes and have days where we're not the greatest parents. But I think fundamentally, if we are teaching our kids to grow up... um, you know, having self-worth that isn't dependent on how many likes they get on a Instagram post or by how popular they are or whatever, then that's a great start. And also, you know, it's a tricky one to talk about, but mindfulness, you know, it gets battered about so much and there's not as much understanding around it as there needs to be because people go, oh, I don't like meditating, full stop. And it's so not that. It's like you said before, just being more present or being aware of what is going on around you rather than projecting to the future, You know, looking back into the past, panicking about all of those things and getting our kids, I mean, they naturally do it as small kids and then they start to come out of that phase, I don't know, when they're teenagers or maybe earlier now because of social media. And I think it's just introducing a bit of that into the home, but also into school life for, you know, schools to encourage kids to be more mindful of what's going on rather than, oh, you didn't pass that. So that means you failed that and you have no opportunities in this area. That's that. That was me. I wasn't an academic kid. What was that? The 11 plus? Mine was my GCSEs and I was already working at this point. So I was really confused as to what I should be focusing on. But I really liked my job. And I was... I could
0: pass this GCSE yes, or, I or I could
1: fuck you and become a star. Yes. yes. At a lesser level, cause at this point, I was sort of like doing the Disney Club, you know, introducing cartoons on the TV. Right, we so it wasn't the heady heights, but ready it was... To
0: tear up the GCSE. Not quite. Ferris Bueller your
1: way out of there. Not quite, but it was exciting nonetheless. And I And I was trying to do a bit of both, but... I guess the sort of naive and very excited part of me channeled everything into work and I did okay in my in my studies, but I was never naturally academic and I didn't put any energy into it at all. Now I'm an adult. Oh my God, I'm a, I'm addicted to learning. So all I want to do is learn more about, you know, what I'm passionate about, but things that I don't know so much about, I want to just keep learning and I didn't really have the thirst for it then. So, you know, I'd go into these talks you have with um, the people that project what your future's going to be like, careers, whatever they're called, yeah, they're advisors. advisors. And um, and and they'd do a sort of a weird questionnaire that always would end up with, you should work with children or be a teacher. And I'd think, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a teacher. That's not for me. I, that's You're not speaking to me. You haven't looked at what I've written down here. But unless it was an academic path or something that involved exams, you're kind of out the window. And the Prince's Trust at the moment are really trying to focus on those soft skills. So skills... You know general etiquette, walking into a room and 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 presenting yourself well and you know talking about yourself passionately and your passions passionately and and people seeing drive and and enthusiasm rather than, oh, I can see you've got five a levels and a degree in whatever to really encourage kids that don't feel so academic in in other areas because of course loads of business plans and And areas of work don't require GCSEs or A-levels. I mean, I certainly don't, but there's lots of other ones that don't as well that you can really throw yourself into wholeheartedly. And that's not wrong. That's not a bad choice in life to do that. And there's countless stories that emphasize that point. But I think, you know... it's looking at young children that's the way where there's going to be there's going to be change I think you know we can change ourselves now onwards but I think really it's the kids and I think they're a lot savvier than we think as well you know especially around social media a lot of parents have fears that their kids are going to go off and do all sorts of crazy stuff and I think more often than not they're quite sensible and they are living it more than we are so they know the pitfalls more than we do.
0: By the time our kids are teenagers or our younger children, at least, um, I reckon social media would be like cigarettes. Yeah, look so at oh, go, yeah, they used that. to do that. Yeah, yeah, that so
1: destructive, and they used to do it willy nilly.
0: What about how you coping with the basics of like my children are so young? I don't like the idea of having to go. Like, well, you know, one of them goes to a little play group or whatever. I worry about people talking to them. Touching them, Mm -hmm. I don't even mean in any untoward way. I just mean simply brushing past. (coughs) Yeah, out of the home. (laughs) Yeah, how Mm -hmm. are you coping with that?
1: All right, because um, again, I think, yeah, I think weirdly a natural evolution happens as you grow into parenthood where it is, I've seen with my husband, who's got two older children who are 13 and 17. It is an incremental process of letting go. So, you know, at the moment my stepson who's 17 is learning to drive. So Jesse's going through this whole thing of he's in a car right now and I'm not with him and he could be going at 60 miles an hour and you have to let go. So from the point that we're at with young kids now to 17, you gradually, you know, they go to school they have their own friendship groups, they're having conversations we don't know about because they're just chatting at playtime. Then they get that bit older, they're going out with people that we don't know and socialising in places we've never been to. So <clears throat> I think over time, you have to learn to let go. And that's, I think parenthood, if you if you have kids can really mirror a lot of lessons we need to to learn. And um, sort of throw them back at us, reflect them back at us. So letting go being one of the biggest ones we need to do in life. And again, that goes back surely to sort of hope and faith, having hope, having faith in the good, something bigger than us, not trying to be micromanaging everything because we think we're in control. Letting go is so tricky, but then allows us to open ourselves up to hope and positivity and knowing that, you know, your little ones might be at playgroup, but they're absolutely fine having a great time and they're learning about life while they're there. Um, so as challenging as parenting is, um, it's obviously wonderful as well, but as challenging it is, I think you can use those challenges to teach you as an adult about life itself. And I'm starting to see those patterns and work that out a bit more now. Yeah. Are you controlling? Mm. Yeah, I'm quite control.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's very... (laughs) You like a bit of the old control, eh?
1: Yeah, I feel safe when... um, Like, for instance, in my house, in a very sort of small way of of describing this, um, everything has to look how I expect. So it might not be someone else's neat, but for me... It makes sense. And if I come home and everything's all over the shop, I can't do anything. I can't even make a cup of tea, have a piss, whatever, until that house looks how I need it to and how I expect it to. And then I feel like I'm safe. And it's like I can really notice, I feel there's this thin veneer between civilised life and absolute chaos. Wow! And that home equals to me the structure I need for like, I'm okay. It's not going to shit. Everything in my life is okay because the house looks normal. And then that is magnified to all areas of my life, my job, um, possibly my marriage. At times, I'm sure Jesse would back that up. Um, that not
0: a liberty to say. I like things. No, never a said that to me. <laughs> that was a joke. That was a, def- that was a joke. <laughs> potentially risky joke. Um,
1: <laughs> but I like how I like things to be how I expect them to be. And it's not always the norm for anyone else. But it's how, it's what I'm expecting to feel that safety. But then that also hinders you from learning because you're just getting what you what you expect at the end of the day.
0: We need this order to feel okay, that the order makes us feel safe. The house is how we want it to be. The Mm. work is how we want it to be. Mm. Listen, this thing my therapist said the other day, he goes, we have to learn to be in comfort living on the edge between order and chaos. He says, if you go too far into the world of order tedium boredom too far into the realm of chaos no form no meaning we have to be at the edge of it you have to learn to be able to hold that edge of chaos which again i think requires that faith idea that it's going to be all right uh like you know i i know that you've stopped doing some of the tv shows you used to do and like, you know, that takes sort of a degree of trust totally. and letting go and inviting the possibilities. Where, okay, I'm going to move into personal development and self-help. Yeah. You, know, like, you have to
1: have that. Like, I'm sure people listening will go, oh, you know, if you leave Radio 1 or Celebrity Juice or whatever, that's, you'll be all right. You know, you've been working for 20 years. No, wait a minute. I've, there's no security. I've got nothing backing. No one's going to help me if I fall. No one's going to go, oh, don't worry if you don't ever work again. We've got this. I've got to keep momentum and keep yeah, it going. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it is risky all the time, and I found a weird piece in that chaos of not really knowing with work. But my real life, I struggle more with. So I'll get into weird bad habits of, and I'm quite superstitious as well. So oh, yeah, yeah, it's not. You've got to watch superstition. That's you the do. problem with the
0: spiritual thing. Is it mm. can, especially with this control, You can go into like. The twitchy, oh no, that's got to be there, that's got to be there. Like my wife, one, two, three, one, two, three. Weird (laughs) tits.
1: You can. And mine probably work at more of a subterranean level, but I notice them. What
0: are they, please? Well,
1: they could be small things. So, I mean, if I'm feeling naturally, uh, or by circumstance, very stressed at a point in my life, or or there is actual chaos going on, or I've had people that have fallen ill around me and it's really stressed me out, obviously. um, I do get a bit oh my God, I can't, nothing can be on the floor. And if I walk out of room and I've spotted a sock, my head will go, better pick that sock up, otherwise you're going to die. And it's that extreme. <laughs> it's that's that the extreme. Sock the Someone's sock of death. to picked up. And I can't not get it. There's no way I could go, don't be ridiculous, yeah. rationalise and go up the stairs. I have to get that sock. But that's when I'm in a, a more vulnerable, not such great place. But right. in everyday life, um, my sort of safety might be I like to get into bed early. So at half nine, I want to be in bed. I love reading a bed. I feel, I've worked it out recently. I feel such peace because nothing can really go wrong. And in my everyday life, like with you now, I might say something wrong and I might go have to ruminate about it for five hours after we finish this podcast. Don't I hope could, not. We could cut it. Good. Or if I go and even just chat to a friend and I might say something that came out wrong and I might have to worry about that after. But when I'm in bed reading... I can't fuck up, so I feel such peace. But then I get into a bad habit of, I've got to be in bed by half nine reading that book. I've got to be in bed, otherwise right. I won't get enough sleep. I don't know what the worry is. And then I start to not like live normally. I'm then not- the, the
0: neurosis migrates and attaches to even a healthy habit. Yeah. Because I suppose, in a way, I've been thinking a lot about how even neg- negative, what we perceive as negative things have positive attributes to them. Well, I've not been thinking about it. Someone told me it, It's the <laughs> honest truth. <laughs> It was my therapist. Like fear, he says, has wisdom in it because fear is awareness. Mm. So if like you're feeling fear, you have to wait for the wisdom. Like you were saying sometimes you have to learn to sit with it for a little while. I always need to connect with someone because I go like, too mental. Same, yeah. Anger is energy. And like it's good to have some anger if you feel that something isn't going the right way, if you've been treated badly. Again, I always get a second opinion before I go raging forward on a quest or crusade. And even grief is, he, is like the process of healing you. So there's wisdom in all of these things, but I can see, like as a like when like as we've like discussed that. before, it's good, and mm. like uh, I'll, maybe I'll copyright it before he has a chance to, <laughs> um, like um like that when you believe in a kind of spiritual life, meaning the unseen world, the world that cannot be measured, the world that does require faith, then that can lend itself to sort of like, mad superstitious stuff to try and order it. Because even at the most institutionalized level, like, there's no, you know, what the, is the reason for wandering up and down a church with incense or the, for the crucifix or the Eucharist or for whatever practices are popularized in Islam or Buddhism or whatever, that you need to physicalize and demonstrate these practices somehow you need to make it rational so that you can recognize i'm in communion with some other world and like when we don't have a spiritual tradition to refer to we have to make one up mm, i so- guess it's
1: when like rituals become superstitions and right. what the fine line is there of you know some things we might do because they do bring us comfort and it does uh and i think rituals mm. are lovely you know whether it's your You have to make your coffee a certain way in the morning. Like You can, rather than beat yourself up, like, God, I'm so boring that I do the same thing every day. Go, this is my little thing and I'm going to really enjoy every bit of making it and sort of turning that on its head. But I guess when it does hinder you or it becomes a problem, um, and I guess that's something that you would be much more knowledgeable about than me because... When does something that you really enjoy doing lots Mm. turn into an addiction? I've got this
0: little ritual that relaxes me. What I do is I take some heroin (laughs) all day.
1: exactly. (laughs) It's really working. Yeah, so we can clearly see that is a problem. (laughs) But when it's kind of that grey area of, is it a problem? Am I making it a problem? It's quite confusing.
0: The thing, this other thing that my therapist said, that sounds like all I do is do therapy. And the reason for that is, is that (laughs) is all I do. (laughs) Right? Like he said, like you have to watch for... Going active, like you have to sort of like in this moment, I'm all right. I'm talking to you. I feel safe. You're going to chat to Laura after. It all feels like I know, like where I am. And yeah. It all feels cool, and I don't feel like threatened. Going, what would happen if if I get a text on my phone? There's a story about you in a room yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, then like now, like in that moment, I've got to like uh, go. Okay, right. But how
1: now. how do you do that? How do you not? react well uh,
0: the answer is i don't know but but (laughs) but the method is apparently that your connection to through the you know whether it's through personal rituals or prescribed rituals has given you such a faith and understanding of the deeper levels of reality that your belief that even though temporarily in this moment that is threatening I know I'm, okay. that I'm going to be alright. Or, or mm. Harry Hill once had a heckle come back that was, uh, "You may heckle me now, sir, but I am safe in the knowledge at home I've got a roast chicken in the oven." <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's, but for us vegetarians, that doesn't what, even yeah, hit the. They well,
0: we can't eat spot. that. It's exactly. going to smell nice, but I'm going to feel terrible. I'll recognise <laughs> the shape of it. I've seen check-ins now. It's going to make me feel guilty.
1: Um, but yeah, it's an. It, that is. Uh, it's an interesting one because I think there's something very important about. The pause that you mentioned a moment ago, whether that be uh, due to fear or anger or even um, something you really want, um, you know, delaying gratification and and going, wait a minute, you know, I think I want that biscuit or whatever it might be. It's usually a biscuit in my case. Yeah, um, keep coming. Why? Up. Like why is what? Why you know? And sit in that before. And not with everything, like, I must sit here and wait 10 minutes before I eat my dinner. But with things that you know are sort of impulsive or a reaction.
0: Are you an eating disorder person?
1: Um, I think I've definitely... Didn't
0: you be a dancer when you were a kid? Yeah. Uh, well, surely that's hand in hand. Weirdly,
1: at dance school, absolutely fine. It was a really beautiful community. Uh, and I talk about it a bit in Quiet because it was probably the anomaly. It was like a really amazing um, gang of us that just all loved each other and there was there was nothing negative about it. It was like a beautiful little bit of my life. Um, I think being on the TV probably gives you a, scent, a sort of a dysmorphia of sorts for sure because again, you are open to commentary at all times um, and people comparing you or whatever. Um, so I think I've had confusion around... Um, more what I look like over mm. the years, and um, and finding peace with that has been, yeah, challenging, and sometimes still is. You know, I'm not like, yeah, I'm really at peace with my body, and I really abused it in my 20s, but now I'm really in love with it. No, I have loads of days where I think I don't want it to look like that. Why? And it, you know, to anyone else, I might just go, well, you're slim. What are you're moaning about? Whatever. But it's not really about that. It's sort of a, it's more of a feeling, and I'm. Um, And I'm not feeling probably how I look to anyone else. And that's the disconnect.
0: I'm learning how complicated uh, body positivity and identity is. I feel like it affects both sexes. But it seems that there's been so much overt and continual pressure on Females that it's been uh, ingested, and yeah. it's like difficult to separate. It forever, it from isn't it? self.
1: It's historic, it goes back like you look even at you know, sort of uh, Tudors or Victorians and how the shape of the woman was so integral to their identity and that silhouette, and men not so much. You know, it's always been very much the female body, which is a magnificent thing. And my god, like, yes, let's all look at how beautiful it is, but. Oh, actually, turn, I've had to
0: stop you. You've that. had to
1: stop doing that, so we won't talk about it too much. But I think you, you, for women, there is then, therefore, obviously a pressure. The caveat to that beauty is there is a pressure to feel like you have to fit into a certain uh, area or body type, or whatever. To again, go, goes back to to feel okay. And just to feel okay with whatever is going on, physically, mentally, circ- circumstantially, um, is really hard. And I think it does involve a bit of the hope we've talked about. It does involve a bit of daily discipline and the rituals that we've talked about, whatever that is. it yeah, could be discipline. going for a run. You know, people don't want to hear that feeling okay or, you know, happy isn't about read this book and you're going to feel happy. It's so not that saccharine, sickly thing. It's, it's about not, going into the darkness and feeling okay and people don't want to hear that that involves discipline that's boring people want to go tell me a diet i can do tell me what three things i should do each day so i can feel happy or tell me how to get that brilliant job so i can feel happy or how do i get that man so i can feel happy or whatever it might be they don't want to hear that it involves quite boring daily discipline possibly um having to make a few changes in how you live your life, people don't want to hear that because it's hard and it's boring. It but is it's, hard but it works.
0: The 12 step thing is actually so, when you get to the nitty gritty, it's such a serious thing. It's yeah. essentially saying, let go of all your ideas of what you think you are yeah. and what will make you happy mm. and recognize that it's an invention. Mm. And that uh, in fact, like increasingly, I'm beginning to recognize that focus on purpose instead of contentment you think of like you know like yeah that's and, nice and i've been do- trying it for a little bit and it's working quite well like so, I, so often i think you know all right you know what am i engaged in in this moment and you if you're helping that person mm. I mean, oh good right mm. then i saw and actually i think purpose can bring contentment but contentment is too easily mistaken for pleasure yep. distraction for me anyway because i will go the biscuit route and where i'm at, at the moment is i'm trying to having like one day at a time had the drug addiction and the alcohol addiction removed and the obsessive behaviours around sex and some of the negative behaviours around relationships I'm looking at I start to think of anything any behaviour that I can control that I don't like be willing to let go of it pray yeah. in my case to like let go of it and it's sort of It's really helping me. It's really helping me to think, all right, I don't Like, if I don't like that... uh, Say a small thing, like, oh, I think I'm being too sycophantic around people if I think they can give me something. Don't do that now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just think Mm -hmm. no one's going to be able to give you anything. I I have to continually remind myself no one's going to be able to give you anything. Mm. It's not coming. There is not going to be... Like you said with the moment of, you know... Because I suppose, like you, I've had that. I've had, you know, you're a penniless drug addict. And now... Hollywood! <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, it's, like, it's like you keep thinking that life's yeah, gonna yeah. do these things to you. And sometimes I have to be careful that even enlightenment, like I want enlightenment, yes. that really what I mean is I want to feel good. Mm, you know, that exactly. It's the same as I I wanna go to an orgy. It's like yeah, yeah, a, yeah. another pleasure seeking. But are we ever thing.
1: gonna even get to that place? No, because it's a mental it's never a thing, is it? It's a it's a headspace. And I think we just keep getting bits of it and then it goes again. And then we get bits of it and then it goes again. And we just get older and learn more and we never reach this place where we go, I feel amazing and that's it for me for the next 30 odd years of my life until I pass away, I'm gonna feel fucking great and content. I don't think that, unless you are, you know, the Dalai Lama or whatever, it's unlikely any of us are going to feel like that. So it's and, learning to ride it.
0: And I will say this Dalai Lama, he's been like from about four or five years old, they've been teaching him that, like, right? because he's like, they go around, don't they, looking for mm-hmm. the reincarnation of the previous one. Then he's in a monastery where they remove all distractions everything. Then to this day, he spends eight hours meditating. Now, I'm not suggesting that Dalai Lama not a special person. Yeah, he's like, exactly sure. well, easy. He's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's obviously, you know, his holiness for Dalai Lama. Yeah. But the fact is, is that all people I know that are at like sublime levels of spirituality... Are dedicated, it's their and as life. you say, Yes, yeah, their life. It's they're their not life. doing other stuff like oh, I'm going to be at Westfield, so I'm going to pick up yeah. my telly.
1: And they're also not doing it because they want to feel that enlightenment. They're doing it because they know that that, again, is their purpose. And that's. Yeah. That's what they're there for—to emit that light and to inspire or to help—and it's it's that and that the enlightenmentness is probably like a secondary thing, I'd imagine. Right,
0: right, like a cherry are, on a cake. I think you might be right that it's a sort of a glazed cherry <laughs> enlightenment. Cherry. That's perhaps the most diminishing thing I know. <laughs> anyone's <laughs> ever said. That's
1: the bit we will edit out. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Russell. Yeah, could you get there's a bit where I said that enlightenment is like a little tip bit a in a cocktail. Well <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Kipling's Transcendence. <laughs> Um, But anyway, though, that Dalai Lama, he's been like or anyone that's been brought up with an enlightenment tradition from their early life when we're being told, you know, if you make loads of money and look a certain way, you will feel happy. They're being told you're going to die. Everyone, you know, is going to die. Nothing's permanent. You better get used to that.
1: Yeah, I think you have to be a real maverick in (laughs) normal everyday life to buck the trend of of listening to what you're being told and and to stop believing it because we are all told that. Even if it's on subliminal levels of TV, advertising, whatever, that's the same message essentially. Yes, it is. Uh, And I think you have to be serious, amazing maverick to move away from that and go, actually, I don't fancy that. I'm going to do my own thing over here.
0: With your children, can I just say, I'm thinking of, I better run this by Laura first, of like, (laughs) I'm thinking of like, say like when we see dead things, like Mm. pigeon or whatever, I'm going, right, Mabel, that's a dead thing. That happens to everyone, all right? So just so you know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What's your thoughts on that? (laughs) Yeah, I think, um, well, I'm coming across all these sorts of moments now because my boy's six and I get lots of very interesting questions about birth and death and um, my husband's mum died about 13 years ago and uh, we talk about her all the time. It's almost like she's here. So they talk about Nana Chrissy like it's their other grandparent, although they, they've they never met her. Um, and I sort of add some flourishes here and there about, you know, there's this nice sunset, Nana Chrissy's painted us a nice sky and Aww. things like that. And But I think talking about you know, death or people that aren't here or the realities of life. Um, Yeah, I think we need to somewhat sugarcoat some things when they're really tiny, a a bit. But I think being honest is very valuable to young children so they can understand because I've noticed with especially Rex, he's a real bundle of energy. And if he's frustrated, it's usually because he doesn't understand something. He doesn't understand why someone was mean to him at school. He doesn't understand why I wouldn't let him have a biscuit, whatever it is. And I think that honesty is the bit that, that he needs. So I think there is something in that. Um, I guess it's just how you relay that information.
0: Fern, we've got to wrap this up I'm really grateful to you coming here I'm really grateful for the contribution you've made to the conversation around spirituality and personal development for your books for your podcast uh, I love Happy Place as you know we've already plagiarised bits from it <laughs> notably the uh, reading out the intro bit tweets. No yeah the intro we've just nicked that yeah but I hey, just... that's good I guess we'll love that. If you had a thing at beginning of friends, yeah we'll do that
1: we'll have that we we'll make ourselves sound really good reading out positive tweets Phones only
0: done one podcast yeah just nick it <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. I'm absolutely
1: fine with it. This is all sort of like podcast cross pollination, so I think it's It'll help us. it's healthy. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you don't need help, but yeah.
0: Fern's um, using actual skilled broadcasting experience and production. <laughs> yeah, we should do that. Let's use some actual production values. I like that. Thanks a lot.
1: Fern. No, thank you. Uh, thank you for letting me come on. It's um I love your podcast, so it's been a joy to be on it.
0: Oh, brilliant. Thank you thanks for listening I hope you enjoyed that episode with the wonderful Fern Cotton remember to let me know what you thought of it on Instagram you can tag me at true Russell Brand. tag me in your Insta stories why don't you you can if you like right Um, and tweet me at Rusty Rockets with hashtag under the skin you can follow my missus at Joy Journal she's always talking about craft and creativity we've got John Ronson on next week very insightful very beautiful interview with John I think you'll like that we've also got Jay Shetty He's coming up soon. Wicked he is. Uh, You'll love his spiritual videos on Instagram. You don't need me to tell you that. He's got millions of followers. Douglas Rushkoff. He's a really interesting man. I've just been speaking to him just now. He's a really good fusion of politics, spirituality, kindness, creativity. Very innovative and a really good conversation. Uh, Anna Whitlock. What are we going to talk about? Royalty. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I like Anna Whitlock. Mmm, history. Monarchy kingdoms sovereignty in the meantime why don't you go back and listen to some previous episodes like lawrence scott people love that one it's a really good episode talking about death consciousness life online tony robbins if you want to feel pumped up say you've got to have a boxing match or run a marathon or something go and listen to tony robbins knock your socks off please subscribe to under the skin on spotify or itunes or what's it called stitcher wherever it is you get it subscribe to it and press the thing so that I can send you messages down directly into your brain. Is that a thing we can do now? If you tick the box, I can access direct into your brain and send you thoughts like, get up in the middle of the night, stand in the garden. No, you can't do that yet, but if they invent that, you know, just watch out is what I'm saying. Anyway, remember my new book, Mentors, How to Help and Be Help? That's out. Get it on russellbrand.com or get it on Amazon or get it, As an audio book on audible get it wherever you want i don't mind get it from a local shop with a human being whose face you can look at and say thank you thank you for being a book merchant and paying your tax in this high street in this town and putting jobs back into the community do whatever you want because let me tell you right now everything is going to be okay because a powerful force is manifesting itself through our consciousness and if we can free ourselves of the tyranny of ego narcissism and our cultural programming we will be free to radiate the glory. Join us next week on Under the Skin.